Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God, and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Good morning, everybody. There's this um, author and um, podcaster, Sky Jatani. Anybody? Yeah, Glenn knows. The rest of you, come on. Get, get with it. He's, uh, he hosts the Holy Post podcast. He's part of our Alliance tribe, actually. And his, his father is Indian, and he took, he took uh, him to see his home of New Delhi. And uh, still, has a, still has a poverty, homelessness problem. So this little boy approached them. He's real thin. He's almost naked. His little legs contorted. And he kind of shouted at them, One rupee, one rupee, please. And his dad did something that was a little surprising. He said, how about five rupees? Well, the boy was not amused. He actually pulled back his hand and gave them a dirty look. He, he, he assumed Sky's father was actually mocking him. Who gives away five rupees? You know, especially when he's only asked for one. So the boy kind of hobbles away. He's dejected. He's kind of cursing a bit under his breath about their cruelty. And then he stopped suddenly, and he heard the sound of, of the coins in, in Sky's father's pocket. And the boy looks back and sees Sky's dad holding up a five-rupee coin, and he placed it in the boy's hand. I wonder if, if God sees us that way sometimes. We're destitute children with no hope apart from God. But rather than asking our our good, good father for what we need, rather than daring to hope that he might actually give lavishly to his children, we ask for lesser things or maybe don't bother asking at all. And sometimes in response to our meager requests, God, God might graciously say no. Not because we're seeking too much, but because he knows we're asking too little. Some things, God, I just believe, will not move unless we pray. Uh, Apparently, our prayers do make a difference, make a huge difference. But I suspect for many of us, a key reason we don't ask is because we're not totally convinced that God wants to answer our prayer. And so Jesus wanted to get this point across. So he tells this, this little illustration. Luke eleven five to 7, he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and he says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are, are with me in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. So Let's just put up the characters in the story here so that we, we know who's who. We've got, the, we've got the host, the borrower. We've got the guest who's come, you know, at midnight. Uh, and the sleeper 
who's annoyed right now. And so some context you may need that the Middle Eastern responsibility for hospitality in that day, and to a large extent to this day, is, is legendary. A guest, a guest is not just a guest of that home, but the entire community. So, so this guest arrives at the host's home. It's late in the evening. The host has nothing adequate to serve this tired and hungry guest. Remember, the whole community wants this guest to leave with a good feeling about the, the village and, and the hospitality of the village. So when the host goes to the sleeping neighbor, the host is actually just asking the sleeper to fulfill his duty to the guest of the village. Refusing to help is, is, is unfathomable. So what we might not get on a first reading of this parable, Jesus' audience would have understand all too well. They would have, first of all, understood what lame excuses those were. Like, sleeping children, a barred door, the, look, the, the door bolt isn't heavy, the children will fall asleep later. The whole scenario is so unthinkable to this audience, it would actually have been humorous. We don't... We don't talk enough maybe about the humor of Jesus. And he was funny, y'all. And then, and then uh, Jesus really lands the plane of this parable. He says in Luke eleven eight, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, or some versions uh, say shamelessness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, this is an interesting word. Uh, the Greek word is uh, anadia, which is, is sometimes translated as persistence, like in this version. But it's also uh, translated as impudence, uh, as boldness. It's a word that can be translated in two very different ways, okay? Shamelessness as in a negative quality, like... Like, have you heard of this politician, George, uh, George Santos? Like, hilarious lies, shameless lies. Um, not a compliment, shameless. But there's this other interpretation of the word which is closer to persistence, you know? Won't take no for an answer. So we got to get this word right for, to really understand this parable. And, and it turns out, with only one exception from ancient Greek and from the Old Testament, this word is always translated as a negative, as in shameless, not the persistence translation. And so I would submit to you that this word shameless isn't actually describing the host. It's, it's describing the sleeping neighbor. So, so the point is not that the guest receives because of the persistence of the host, which is how I've understood this parable. The guest receives because of the shamelessness of the sleeping neighbor. Here's what I mean. The, the, the sleeper knows that the host is going to keep asking other neighbors. He'll, he'll get what is ever necessary for this, for this guest. He'll go to the next house if he has to, or the next house. But... The story of this sleeping neighbor's stinginess is going to be legendary by the morning, okay? The sleeping neighbor would be 
persona non grata. People would be like, dang, son, you embarrassed us last night. Shame on you. That's my uh, Jewish accent. And uh, so because he wants to avoid being shamed, the sleeper actually will get up. And, and supply that bread. So here's the point Jesus is making. If it's true that that sleeping neighbor will get up and get the bread just to save face, just so he's not a pariah in the neighborhood, then how much more will God, who loves you, who is never selfish, who never sleeps or slumbers, who is waiting to be asked, how much more will God grant your requests? Your heavenly Father desires to answer your prayers, so keep on asking. In fact, God offers to keep on answering and answering and answering. In Luke 11, just a little later, he says, so I I say to you, ask And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. For those who seek they find. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. It's a a verse that's spoken like a poem really. And it comes with these three instructions. What are the three instructions? instructions? Number one, ask. Ask me. You know, I've asked God for money when we had none. I've asked for living accommodations when when we are in need of them. I've asked for jobs. I've asked for healing and health. I've asked God for less quantifiable things like inner things, emotional healing, deliverance. I've asked for increased joy and peace and hope and character things like self-control and discipline. I've, I've asked for things like wisdom and discernment and direction. And he says, Jesus says to seek, seek for what has been lost. Have you ever uh, misplaced something or lost something? As someone who misplaces a lot of things and has these great new air tags so uh, I can find where my keys are, have you lost your wallet or something valuable? Ask, ask God. Seek, he'll, he'll see you through. How about, have you lost thoughts or ideas or creativity or memories? Seek, ask. How about lost health? I've prayed for my health and at times was granted uh, healing just, just in time for the ministry that God's asked me to do, as I ministered, in fact. Have you prayed for a son or a daughter, a spouse, a grandchild, a nephew who was spiritually lost. You know, my dad would say to me in my wilder years, I'm not sure I want to go to heaven without you. And I get that as a parent. So seek, seek, seek through prayer. We don't know the way back to our lost family because they're lost. But ask the Lord for the next step, and then the next, and then the next. Don't quit seeking through prayer. Maybe you feel like you've frittered away years due to a lukewarm faith, and you feel like so much time has been lost. And Seek the Lord and see how he can restore what the prophet 
Joel says, the locusts have eaten. You, you feel like you've lost the voice of the spirit. He used to speak to you on the reg and, and you feel like you've lost it. Seek it again, Jesus says. Seek it. And he says, you gotta knock. Sometimes, um, sometimes you just gotta knock on the door for admission. Doors are, are thought of as opportunities. But they're not just like sitting wide open. You, you gotta knock. And we're afraid to ask. We're afraid to ask favors of people. We're afraid to ask the Lord to open a door that someone else has the key to. You know, the history of Knack includes leaders praying for open doors, praying for favor from government officials, for land, for changes to the zoning bylaws, leaders praying for favor with bankers. Where do you need to knock today? And all, all three verbs are in the present Greek tense, meaning that an actual better rendering of the verse would be keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And, and Jesus says, you'll keep on receiving, you'll keep on finding, you'll keep on having doors open for you. I, I've learned something in my church renewal coaching. This is where we get the abide groups and the hearing God seminars and all that. I've learned that 80% of you, including myself, uh, hate journaling. Uh, Some of y'all love it. You're the exception. It's getting harder too, I think, in 2023 with our attention spans getting shorter. But one of the reasons I've challenged this practice, challenged it in the small group curriculum that that you get uh, if you get our newsletter, is because of the legacy of recorded answered prayers. Um, The founder of this church renewal discipleship model that we use, Pastor Ray Dirksen, he felt convicted to start tracking his prayer in a journal. So he started on January uh, 2018, and by the end of December, one year later, he had recorded 527 answers to prayer. That's an average of 1.4 answers a day. 56 pages worth in his journal. This is our staff prayer journal. And uh, I have not gone through this for years. Uh, Just going check, check, answered, answered. I'm going to do that. There's something about this practice that will generate gratitude in your hearts. It will make you more mindful of what God is doing in your life. Worship will come easier. It it inspires you to pray more. When, When you see this growing list of answered prayer, you will absolutely be motivated to ask even more and And you'll be reminded of his goodness and his faithfulness. If anything, it just may cause you to reflect, gee, I wonder how many more prayers he would have answered if I'd only asked. Why don't we ask more? There was a pastor in India who said, you know, the greatest tragedy is not unanswered prayers. It's unoffered prayers. What are some of the reasons we don't offer up our prayers? I think Number one is pride or, you know, call it self-reliance or 
or independence, but it's ultimately a form of pride in religious folks who intellectually acknowledge God and the Bible and Jesus, but practically live like life depended fully on them. You know, they may have attended church all their life. They may, have, they may know all the words to I surrender all. But deep down they believe that they are more self-made. They don't really need saving from anything. And they're actually self-deceived. And they're in danger of missing heaven along the way. We'll talk another week about delayed answers to prayer and, and times when God says no, but there's, there's also the kind of pride that gets uncovered when people become angry at God because he answers differently than what they asked or because maybe they go through suffering. It's as if in their hearts they kind of fold their arms in defiance. They give God the silent treatment. You know, if you read the story of Job, his own wife says, look, you might as well curse God already. And Job replied, you foolish woman, are, are we supposed to accept the good from God and, and not the trouble? And later he says, even though he slays me, I will trust in him. Maybe someone needs to hear that this morning as a, as a rebuke to our, to our pride. I, I think we don't ask because of our laziness or our distractions. Honestly, doesn't this kind of come from having so many comforts, having it pretty good? Like it's easy to get distracted in a world with so many bright and shiny objects. It's like we're toddlers, you know, with like the keys in front of us. Ooh, Netflix, iPad, Ford F-150 cryptocurrency, you know, or we're undisciplined and, I, and we just don't schedule time to pray. We don't create rhythms of prayer. Jesus' words to his disciples on the night he was betrayed come back. Could you, could you not keep watch for one hour? Could you not tarry one hour? I think the third reason we don't ask is because, frankly, of unbelief. Some simply don't believe that God's is true to his word that we'll receive when we ask. And so we don't ask. Apparently there, there, this has been a problem throughout history because J- James says, you do not have because you do not what? Ask. Say it again. You do not have because you do not ask God. So maybe if we really understood deep in our hearts that God is a good, good father, if we didn't just sing it, but we really believed it, I wonder if it would change our prayer life. If we really understood that God desires to give us good gifts. I love this, this little poem slash parable that he asks, or he says in context of all this. It says in Luke 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake and sit? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then know you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I I wonder sometimes about the way that I have uniquely messed up my own children, Uh, the way that you will inevitably mess up your kids. And I know I can at least say, well, in all the dysfunction, there was at least a lot of love. But 
I, I so want to give good gifts to my kids, pass along good attributes. But how much more? How much more will our Heavenly Father, who is not broken and insecure and dysfunctional, whose love is perfect, how much more will he give good gifts to his children? I think I'll take you up on that water, Glenn. Uh, Luke is the author of this gospel, and he understands Jesus' words in light of his resurrection, his ascension, the pouring out of the Spirit. And so the early church couldn't think of a better gift than being given the Holy Spirit himself. And so Luke says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who, who love him? And see what Peter uh, calls the Holy Spirit in his Pentecost sermon in Acts 2. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the, what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul, in his letter to Romans, asks, you know, sort of the ultimate rhetorical question, if God the Father would even give us his own son, won't he give us every good thing? And so our God is not a miser. There isn't anything in the entire world he wouldn't give us, except, of course, snakes and scorpions, or in other words, things that would cause us harm. God promised to answer our prayers always, always. It's why God wants us to pray unceasingly, 1 Thessalonians says. Pray continually. Why? Because he always, always answers prayer. I prayed for water, and I, look, at, look at this. Here's just a sampling. Matthew 21, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. 1 John 5, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Uh, See what Jesus says about this in John 15. If you remain in me, and my words remain or abide in you. Whatever you wish, it will be given to you. And check this out. He may, and often does, actually give more than what we asked. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Have you received something in prayer that was even greater than you dared ask? I have. I prayed. I prayed at times this year that God would meet our monthly church family needs, that we would somehow meet our budget. God decided to bless us with something like a $60,000 surplus. And when that happens to you, something that actually exceeds your expectations, you may just get a sense from God in prayer that he is saying, I just want to show you how much I love you. God really desires to answer our prayers and he has promised to answer our prayers. And look, this is, there's a lot here I don't fully understand or pretend to understand. Much of this is mysterious and we won't fully comprehend until heaven. I get that. But some of us have experienced his goodness. We know that we know that we know that prayer makes a difference. 
If you believe that the Bible is reliable, then you have to believe this about God. You, you read Acts, you read the historical documents of the first church, and it's like at every turning point, there is always prayer mentioned in context. After spending time in prayer, um, the risen Christ poured out his spirit at Pentecost. It was, um, it was while praying that Peter was made aware of the Gentiles uh, were to be included in God's plan of salvation, so on and so on. Not only will he often give us more than we ask, he'll often give us better than what we asked. Three times Paul asked the Lord to remove this thorn from his flesh. And the Lord said he had something better in mind. Second Corinthians, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment. Pastor, wait, are you, that's the verse you're going to use to show God has something better in mind? This thorn in, yep, yep, it is the verse I'm going to use. We don't know the specifics of that scenario, but it seems that God was building something in Paul, sanctifying him sanding off some conceitedness in his character. And so the Lord allowed a thorn in Paul's flesh, whatever that was, something to cause Paul to fully trust in God. Pastor Ray says, like, the Lord cares more about the line of your eternity than just the dot of your present. Think about this. Paul is, is, is 2,000 years into eternity already. Do you think he remembers that thorn in his flesh 2,000 years removed? If he does, it's only a faint memory, especially in light of his reward. Second uh, Corinthians 4.17, for our light and momentary troubles or, or afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In fact, Paul would say that these momentary afflictions are actually achieving something fantastic that they'll, they'll last for eternity. He says it, it, it will be worth it, what it does for you, what it builds in you. And so we see that God always answers our prayer and his answers are more and better than what we ask. So ask away, seek knock. In fact, here's my feeling on the matter. Don't even worry about whether the request is the right or wrong thing to ask. I think that even if you ask for the wrong thing with the right heart, you'll end up receiving the right thing. Now, even as I say that, you'll find that as you mature in your faith, you'll, you'll see that there are these boundary markers for answered prayer. From, um, from everything that I've said so far, it might appear that prayer is some sort of like blank check from God. I think that's the wrong way to, to look at it. For instance, right in the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to keep circling back to in this series, there's like these three conditions or three boundaries of sorts uh, for how God answers our prayer. So boundary number one, it must not dishonor God. We talked about hallowing God's name, how it's meant to bring glory, to increase his renown. So God is not going to grant prayers that would be at 
cross purposes with his glory. Uh, Boundary number two, it, it can't impede on his higher kingdom principles. Jesus instructed to pray, you know, your kingdom come, Father, your will be done. And again, if that's how he wants us to pray, then our request shouldn't um, be contrary to that. And boundary number three, it's, it's, it should not hurt us ultimately. Sometimes we don't know what will hurt us. And Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, or, or put another way, lead us not into tests that will overwhelm or hurt us. Again, if, if we ask for fish or eggs or bread, God doesn't give us snakes and scorpions. But don't forget, sometimes giving us what is best for us might mean he withholds something we ask for. And uh, I don't know if the name Warren Buffett means anything to anybody. Yeah. He's, uh, he's actually one of the richest guys in the world. He's gone about it in a very, let's call it, uh, unsexy way. He didn't invent a social media platform. He didn't, you know, invent driverless cars or anything. It's just been sort of sound, boring investment principles. And it turns out he's actually this, the most frugal billionaire. Uh, lives very simply. Well, his, his grandchildren were being interviewed and they were asked what it was like to be the grandchild of such a wealthy man. You know, the assumption was that they had a pretty easy life. And one of the grandchildren explained, well, grandpa will pay for them to go to any university of their choice. But after that, they're on their own. And it sounds to me like Buffett understands that it wouldn't be a good thing to give his children and grandchildren just a blank check. Something that would maybe even stunt their ability to develop and grow. We have enough entitled Nepo babies in the world, right? So there's something else we need to be crystal clear about. When I say that God will not give us something that will hurt us, I'm not saying that it isn't God's will for us to avoid suffering altogether, at least in this lifetime. Uh, in fact, on the contrary, God often allows such things in our life to grow the kind of character that will result in the most earthly impact, um, the most reward for eternity. That, that's why I included the word ultimately in this boundary. One more quick caveat before uh, we transition. Some, some of the keeners in the class here this morning are going to ask, well, didn't Jesus say, ask for anything in my name and I will do it? And in fact, Jesus repeats that a couple times in John. Does that phrase mean that if we tack in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, it'll happen like a, like a formula? No, that's, that's what we call magic, not prayer. That's a, that's a prayer that should end with ta-da instead of amen. In fact, none of the prayers recorded in Scripture have the phrase in Jesus' name at the end of them. So, but, but what does it mean, though? Well, first it means that we are praying in a way that is consistent with Jesus' character. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago when a person's name really represented everything that they held dear. You, to have a good name was everything, right? It was a, a shorthand for your reputation. Um, 
That was certainly the case in Jesus' day. You know, Proverbs 22 says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And Jesus has a good name. The psalmist says, I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name, I will hope. For your name is good. And Paul rebuked those who were maligning the name of God. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we pray in a way that is consistent with his character. We wouldn't pray for our boss to get alopecia because he didn't give us a Christmas bonus. That would not be in character with with Jesus who modeled a life of forgiveness. Um, Second, it means that we're praying according to Jesus' will. We read that in, in 1 John 14, 15. We're encouraged to ask anything according to his will. Now, this is slightly different than praying with his character, because we can pray in such a way that's consistent with his character, but it still may not be in his will for us. Most preachers use the example of the person who says no to missions. I'm going to take the other side. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say, like, what about the person who is clearly called to medicine or the marketplace and, and yet they have this sort of warped childhood misunderstanding that the only way to truly serve God is to be a, a pastor or a missionary. So, so you pray for the church job opening, but you're not really asking according to God's will. It's not in Jesus' name um, because you were called to something else. Now, here's the amazing thing. According to John, when we do pray according to his will, we have full confidence that we will receive what we ask for. That assumes something. It assumes that, that we can even know his will. You know we can, right? James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God actually delights in giving us wisdom and direction um, in the decisions that we have to make. He delights in letting his will be known to us. Last thing, uh, it means that praying in the name of Jesus is, is acting with Jesus' authority. When we pray consistent with Jesus' character, consistent with his will for us, then we have his authorization, therefore, to We have his power to carry it out. You know the story in Acts 3. Peter says to the the crippled man, silver I do not have, gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the lame man walked.